Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hang on, sorry, is your Zoom, is your display name Midnight Fist 69? Is it? Oh, it yes. is actually, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to explain yourself, Craig? Yeah, that's from a leak slip group. Um, it was like an in-joke um, a couple of weeks ago when we had a we had a bit of a group session. I can't remember what the joke was, though. I don't it's think I want to hear funny. what this joke was. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! I like I leave you alone for one week, one week, and you I've go been, off and I've start. been nicknamed. I've I've been nicknamed the Fist previously, as in Fitzpatrick or something. Don't ask me how, but yeah, I don't know. That suddenly that like came together with midnight and the sixty nine. I mean, it writes itself, doesn't it? It's not dildo sex thirteen or whatever. Our our friend of the show Josh has, but that's dildo sex fourteen. I'll have you know. <laughs> Because Dildo <laughs> Sex 13 would have been unlucky. Yeah, it's just like, it, that, that's his display name for everything and for like, uh, it's deliberately to put people off. So it's done a good job. Anyway, look, uh, it's time to click into the show. So let's do it. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 210 of the No Encore Music Podcast. As I look outside my window, it is so sunny, I've had to pull down the blinds so I can't actually look outside the window. That's the biggest lie I will tell in this episode. Everything else will be pure truth. And here, to make sure that I don't step across the line again, is Craig Fitzpatrick. I'm the guardian of your righteous truth, Dave, I feel. Um, it is great for your lighting on Zoom, though, I must say. Like, just kind of having the window there. 
my window's behind me and I look haunted every week. And I am haunted, so maybe it's fitting. My uh, my hair is getting very bird's nest. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens. It's good. It's Yeah, no, it's it's kind of going a bit um manga, a bit anime. I like it. <laughs> I am playing the, uh, I am nearly finished the Final Fantasy VII remake at the moment, so maybe I've been inspired on the quiet. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, okay. um, I had a very exciting delivery the other day. The most exciting since the microphone, I actually got some um, daily moisturizer because my face was like in rag order. It was just extremely dry. And do you know what I went with? I went with Aveeno Daily Moisturizer, um, which was recommended by Pusha T on a GQ segment a couple of years ago. I believe I also the, No Popcorn's um, Dave Higgins has the same one on Pusha T's recommendation. It's working yeah, wonders right now. I have, I have the hand cream edition of that one. For for the face, though, I usually reserve myself for Bulldog, but unfortunately I can't get anywhere that stocks it at the moment, so I've had to settle for plain old Nivea. So it's difficult times out here <laughs> during this difficult time that we're in. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, my deliveries, by the way, have amounted to beer. I'm getting lots of beer delivered. I got like a big box of 24 cans the other day on a Tuesday, <laughs> and I was like getting it delivered and being like, please, neighbours, don't, th- this isn't what it looks like. They're for the weekend. They're for weekend Dave. They're kind. Of, they seem to be little cans, like they're they're like fun pack party size cans, right? Which kind of adds to the magic of it. I, I like it. It's like you're a kid again, but drunk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on this episode of No Encore, uh, we will be reviewing the critically acclaimed, to say the least, Fiona Apple record, which dropped last week and took the world by storm. Or did it? We'll find out. Uh, we'll also be doing, and I'm really looking forward to this one, and is it related? I don't know. We'll be doing our top five most overrated albums. So that's going to be a very fun one. I can't wait <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, critically that. overrated albums. Critically overrated I'm worried about albums. that one because... <laughs> I did suggest it and I wasn't thinking that maybe it will just be 15 minutes of you like slaughtering music I, I dearly love. <laughs> so I'm looking this forward to that choice. one. <laughs> this was your choice. <laughs> you know, you've known me now for almost 10 years. How the fuck did you let me do this one? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say ahead of time here, I feel very comfortable in my choices and I think I'm making fair arguments in every case. And also, right up front, I've given the Beatles the week off, so they're not involved, okay? There you go. Happy, okay. good, good Beatles times. will not also, feature. Uh, real quick, before we jump into the news, a uh, plug for our Patreon. If you want to support the show, price of a pint or more, if you feel so generous, it's up to you. Patreon.com slash noencore. Thank you to everyone who's signed up so far. The number continues to grow and it makes Craig's heart swell a thousand times the legal amount. Yeah, so, and it keeps my face it keeps my face well moisturised. <laughs> I've not been spending the money <laughs> on a vino moisturiser. <laughs> but if they want to sponsor the show as well, uh, maybe we wouldn't need a Patreon. <laughs> Well, I mean, there are sponsors with things to sponsor now because festivals are pretty much gone for the entire year, Craig. We'll jump into the news. Mass gatherings are down. All mass gatherings in Ireland are banned until the autumn, late August or September under plans announced by the government. So at the moment, it's pretty much the end of August, start of September. Um, This applies to gatherings of 5,000 people or more. And effectively, that rules out all of your your major gigs and festivals in particular are the ones that have kind of been hit the most. So as of the time of this recording, uh, many festivals have announced their cancellations, including Longitude, Body and Soul, All Together Now, Independence and the Kaleidoscope Festival. Uh, Other festivals have moved, like Fantastival and some others, and, you know, remains to be seen if they can get it done this year at all or some are even moving to 2021. I think altogether now we're basically saying you can get a refund or you can hold on to your tickets. The big one that has yet, to, well, first of all, before I get to the big one, 
uh, Forbidden Fruit, which is coming up before any of those, has, hasn't made a statement just yet. You have to imagine that's got to be down to some kind of insurance situation or they're waiting for an official word because yeah. um, I don't really understand how that one has. Yeah, it's admin. It's an admin problem. And it's kind of the, the wording of the government is quite confusing in a way because it's like gatherings of like more than 5,000 people or something. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, wh- what does that mean for a 300-person gig? Obviously, like, that can't go ahead either. But uh, I will say that... Yeah, it's know, common in, sense, really. Well, speaking of common sense, in, in stark contrast to Melvin Benn's initial comments at the launch of Electric Picnic, and keep in mind, Electric Picnic still hasn't officially pulled the plug, MCD head honcho Dennis Desmond, who's kind of been doing damage control ever since, he was speaking this week and he said it was only a matter of time. It's the right thing to do. We've been expecting it. Germany and Denmark announced these restrictions last week. And it's only a matter of time before the UK does it as well. Everybody needs to be on the same page. American acts would find it very diff- difficult to come to Europe. They would not just be dependent on shows in the UK and Ireland, they would have shows in Europe too, it wouldn't be viable. And essentially, they're anticipating that concerts and festivals that were due to take place in 2021, they'd be pushed out to 2021. But as I say, Electric Picnic, as of time of recording, is still technically going ahead. As is your pre- beloved Primavera. <laughs> it's just, it, like, it's obviously part of the government's overall gently, gently approach, which makes a lot of sense to me, right? You don't just say, listen, everything this year is cancelled. You do it in stages. You kind of limit panic. You limit um, people getting disheartened, but you kind of drip feed this info. Yeah, the 5,000 kind of um, number did confuse a lot of people, but obviously you need to put a number on it. Um, Nothing's happening, I don't think, in August or September. You know, speaking of Germany, obviously Oktoberfest, which mainly takes place in September, went by the wayside. And I think that was a good, a good kind of um, bellwether, really, of what's to come. I think people will follow Germans' advice on on things like that. Um, My Primavera dreams are well and truly gone at this stage. And as you talked about with Jim Carroll um, on a previous episode, I think everyone now at this stage is kind of feeling like, I don't know how comfortable I would be even at a gig for the next few months. Like that is going to be such a shock to the system when we get back to normality, even at a point when, you know, it can be safely done. When there's still huge question marks, no one really wants to go to a gig. As much as we'd we'd love to be together, we just can't be. Yeah, totally. I mean, if Kanye West announced the Academy tomorrow, I'm like, can't go. <laughs> like, I, I think yeah. it'd be... It's, it, I, <laughs> I'm I, I, sorry, I Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> Your Trump support was reckless, but this is just uh, out of control. I, I, it's, it, 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 it is genuinely kind of frightening. I found myself in a shop the other day and there was a woman behind me in the queue who just kept fucking inching up behind me. And I was just like, this is baffling. Get the fuck away from me. Um, not in so many words, yeah. but, but I was this close, Craig. Like, I keep hearing, you obviously, you know, you're flooded with stories of um, people, you know, this crisis bringing out the best in people, um, you know, people being very generous with their time, looking out for one another. My kind of interactions with people outside of work and, like, friends has been going for runs and almost shouting at people to get out of my way. <laughs> like, I swear to God, since this kicked into gear, right, couples going out exercising, in quotation marks, together there's not one I've encountered so far that hasn't been happier to have me run in the road than go in single file for like f- more than five seconds. It's just, like, I wouldn't wish COVID on anyone, but maybe if they unwittingly give each other like pubic lice or something, serves them right. On the flip side of that, Craig, that too much? Was, well, no, it's not, because well, I don't know, I mean, when I was walking back from that shop the other day, I, I got muscled off the, off the fucking footpath by a family of joggers. And I was just yeah, like, this yeah. is There's a lot absolutely of that. ridiculous. Also, I, yeah, I tell you, fucking one thing, Ireland's I, fittest family. 
I've never been more like I think I've grunted under my breath about 17 times when like a, a cyclist is on the footpath. The amount of times I've been like should be on the fucking road <laughs> like, as they like fly past and yeah. just like yeah. Nah, 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 oh nah, the, nah, yeah, the worst the worst instance I had was um a dude I was running on a footpath which also had a cycle lane, very very wide footpath, great, right? Dude comes cycling down the very middle of both paths, right? No hands on his handlebars on a fucking call chatting away staring into the sky it was fucking unreal <laughs> and i did shout at him what did you shout what are you playing at oh, that's fair so yeah uh music news anyway that's uh a whole other world there's not a lot happening this week craig let's be honest i mean i, I i've scared the world so have you it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a dead week well, you know, people are making sensible decisions in terms of gigs and stuff. Um, if we still need a villain outside of COVID um, in the music industry, it might be Spotify, even when they're trying to do a bit of good. They've announced um, an in-app artist fundraising feature, which is just like the absolute gall. Um, so essentially you can now go onto someone's page on Spotify and like give them some cash, which is, you know, all very good. But the big question everyone's asking is like, why don't you use Spotify just like incrementally increase the like paltry amount you give artists it's just the cheek of it because spotify is a family craig and you don't ask for money from your family you just help them different ways that's how it's <laughs> done right? things yeah. yeah totally uh i mean yeah i don't know i mean I've, I've seen like some kind of backlash to this i've seen some kind of um anger and everything and i i, I think at the moment like the amount of money artists make already from Spotify is kind of insane. So, like, in, in, in the bad way. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah. this feels like insult I'm pretty sure it's the worst of all the streaming services, right? Like, even Apple Music, which would seem like, you know, Apple, the big bad wolf. Um, I think the amount they give per stream is something like three or four times as much. Title's kind of better again. And then you're into realms of Bandcamp, who... Bandcamp announced they're not going to... They're going to waive their fees again for next month, which is great. So I think if you're doing... Purchase this music or streaming stuff, go to a band camp, go direct to source and support ours. You ask Craig, you know, about a villain. Who is the villain <laughs> out in the world these days? And for me, it's whoever keeps vandalizing that Luke Kelly statue. What's going on? This is like the fourth or fifth time. I mean, like starting off my week, you know, it's nice weather. I'm trying to get over the whole coronavirus depression aspect of things. You know, just get in front of my my computer for a hard day of work on Monday. And what do I see, Craig? What's the first thing I see? That fucking terrifying, colossal, disembodied head of Luke Kelly that's in a park for some reason. And someone's come along and they've spray painted some red glasses over it. And it's not on. This is like the fourth time in recent months. And of course, as usual, as is the the, the kind of the, the usual fallout of this thing, much like in your local newspaper, when you see a politician looking mournfully at a pothole and pointing at it, there's always a councillor from Dublin standing nearby looking outraged. So Ray McAdam has described this latest instant of vandalism as soul-destroying. It is soul-destroying to see yeah. the statue being defaced again. Luke Kelly is such a revered figure, so the lack of respect <laughs> being shown to his memory is disgraceful. Mindless idiots are carrying out these attacks and wasting public money. The money would be better spent on targeting illegal dumping or trying to bring in more social distancing measures on the streets. We're going to ask the council if we should relocate the statue. I don't want it to be moved, but at this stage, it has been damaged four times and putting security around it would not deter vandals, it would encourage them. And finally... It's a sorry day when we're having to discuss this, but it seems inevitable that Luke Kelly's going to have to go on the move. Of course, there is another Luke Kelly statue already or up around Grafton Street, which is slightly better, <laughs> like slightly better designed. A bit more, slightly. 
<laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, Ray says mindless idiots. There's some creativity in like doing the glasses, right? I like that kind of frivolous touch. It's it's kind of cheeky. It's it's creative. <laughs> um, but I did think the, des- the description as um, soul destroying was pretty apt, considering it makes Luke Kelly look like Luke Kelly, destroyer of souls. <laughs> <laughs> It's also the most, it's just the most dramatic language for something that is, I mean. Yeah, it is. Do you think? Uh, particularly in this economy, at this moment in time, <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> People are dying every day. Uh, do you think that it's, I mean, listen, I mean, I, I hate to encourage the bullying of anything and I hate to encourage shaming or any kind of aesthetic-based criticism because, you know, those things are horrible. But do you think that this Luke Kelly statue is just destined to be treated this way forever? Until the end of time yeah, itself. I think a trend has been established. I think a marker's been laid down. I think um, if people want to get creative, they're going to get creative on the head of Luke Kelly. And I don't know if you can do much about that. Like the, the head belongs to the people of Dublin now, um, as it quite rightly should. So have at it, Dublin. I mean, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Honour and respect it, you mindless idiots. <laughs> Did anything else jump out of you in the news this week, Craig, before we get to this album review? I'm itching to get to this album review. Yeah, I did. I did quite like um, Brandon Flares in conversation, who was backtracking on some comments um, uh, around about his Glastonbury set last year that we discussed at the time on Morrissey. Um, he's offered a few insights into dealing with Morrissey's troubling views, um, speaking again of musical villains. Um, obviously, we won't go into what those are, but um, yeah, like he was, he was pretty much saying that, listen, I still love Morrissey. I love the Smiths. I always will. Uh, moments before getting on stage and doing This Charming Man um, at Glastonbury with Johnny Marr. And he's kind of talking about that experience. And he said uh, when speaking to the Times that I don't think Marr should be held back because of Morrissey. So I don't regret it. That's pretty fair, right? I think that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, like this is the age old argument, isn't it? About like growing older, saying things, changing your mind, the- get like learning lessons, making mistakes, separating the art from the artist, you know, over and over again. Uh, by all accounts, Morrissey put out a good record recently, but I have not heard it because I've given up a long time ago. Yeah, some of the re- reviews were begrudgingly like, if if this guy wasn't a total twash, this would be very enjoyable stuff indeed. And Brandon went on to say, um, you know, it's difficult to separate it from him. I'm not going to go around playing the music in front of my kids. And then he kind of backtracks again and he, he goes... Pick a song, he exclaimed. Uh, pick what she said. If what she said came on the radios with my kids, I wouldn't change it. It's still an amazing song. So I'm not that serious where it would change the station. I don't agree with him, but I'm not going to burn my CDs by the Smiths or anything. Fair enough. Okay. I am pulling the shutters down. It is time to get to this week's album review because before I even heard a note of this record, the discourse was already spiralling and on fire. One review in particular dropped the famous Pitchfork 10, the very, very rarely seen 10 out of 10 from Pitchfork. I believe this is their third one in the space of 20 years. And essentially, just to give you a little taste of this, the strapline for said review is that this album is Unbound, a wild-style symphony of the everyday, an unyielding masterpiece, and no music has ever sounded quite like it. This is Fiona Apple. Love me, you 
That was Fiona Apple. This is her fifth record. It's called Fetch the Bolt Cutters. That was the opening track from the record, and it's entitled I Want You to Love Me. So, rather than me spiral out of control here on an artist I am happy to admit I really only know of from reputation, I will now hand the reins to Craig Fitzpatrick to tell us more about who this person is. I will indeed. Uh, Fiona Apple, um, she's an American artist um, who was raised by Coastly, I think, but she feels very New York. Uh, she currently lives in Venice Beach, um, but as we know from this album, the discourse around it, she doesn't really get out much, so no real West Coast vibes have infected her. Um, she's kind of a fitting um, MIA artist to return and kind of bless us with her work at the moment, because we're all kind of living the Fiona Apple life right now. So the fact that she's kind of deigned to give us new music, like some kind of guardian angel, makes sense that there will be a huge, um, you know, Ferrari around it. Could have been her or Frank, but um, yeah, I'm happy to have her back. She's a, a real kind of prodigious talent for a couple of decades where, you know, she's writing songs at the age of eight, so... She's got more than those um, 10,000 kind of hours of mastery under her belt. Uh, she got tremendous notices with her debut album title. Um, but of course, people wanted to kind of shape her as per mid-90s alt trends at the time. So there was a lot of talk of her being like the new Tori Amos or the new Alanis Morissette. Um, and also you got like, uh, you know, record labels trying to tap into the kind of the sex appeal of a teenage artist coming out with videos like Criminal, which had her in kind of various states of undress. But she does have this kind of like finely tuned bullshit detector. I think she kind of put her style, set her style out quite early on that she wasn't going to play by industry rules. Um, so like w- way back at the VMA Awards, she had a bit of a Sinead O'Connor moment where um, she was quoting Maya Angelou. She was, you know, she won an award for best rock performance, I think. And she said, you know, everyone watching this world, i.e. the music industry, don't model your life on it or what you think, you know, we think is cool because... Um, it's all a load of nonsense. Go with yourself. This world is bullshit. Um, so basically speaking truth to power. And she was then branded as like a bit of a mad one, you know, burn the witch because she's good and right. Um, but for the most part, she's kind of kicked against the industry and society by like hunkering down and just doing good kind of fearless work. I think like she's worked at a, a pretty writerly pace. Um, she's got a devoted fan base that will wait patiently for her. I think maybe she's more of an American phenomenon, even speaking to your kind of lack of familiarity with her. Like, I don't know if people this side of the Atlantic have the same kind of level of um, deep love that she has in the the US. But um, yeah, title was great. Pop jazz fusion. Uh, when the Pawn Hits, uh, which is like one of the longest album titles um, ever, it goes on. It's a full poem, was when she entered the realms of kind of timelessness. Um, Extraordinary Machine was her third record. And there was a real creative tug of war. There's a whole mythology around, you know, what the record label let be released at that time. And then when I really jumped on board, it was 2012 with her last record, um, which was The Idler Wheel, which again goes on to be a much longer title. And that was her, I think, finding her her proper voice Um and kind of stripping everything back. It was sparse beyond belief, Um, you know, very intimate. It was like you were right there in the room with her. She was kind of like, uh, it was like lots of tie slaps, heartbeats, uh, propelling songs, kind of confessions in the kitchen. It didn't feel like lo-fi or raw. It felt like it was in, you know, her songs and her soul in like super HD. Along with some of her best songs, I was blown away. Uh, It had more dimensions than most music does. I think for Hot Press at the time, I gave it, Either a 5 out of 5, or I think it was actually a 9 out of 10. Uh, we'd moved to the out of 10 system by then. Um, and it was like one of my records of that year. So since then, kind of Silencio, um, a lot of expectations around this and fulfilled for a lot of people, right? How did you find it as a newcomer? 
So, I mean, it's it's not really fair to the record to start off the way that I did, but I feel like it's a good teaser. I mean, <laughs> in terms of... Anyway. <laughs> of course, it, it's fucking me. It's what I do. So I think essentially it was uh, daunting, you know, daunting to jump in on a Friday yeah. morning and jump on this record that... Like, I'm talking about literally getting out of bed at 8 a.m. or whatever. And, yeah, God bless those sweet non-commute starts, eh? Am I right? <laughs> like, just fucking... I know. Like, going on to Twitter or whatever, and the first thing I see is Pitchfork have given this a 10. And, okay, well, I guess, first of all, I don't want to... I, I do want to get to the criticism, but real quick, Craig, just explain why it's a big deal. Because last week, you did say you threw Pitchfork under the bus, and then it's almost like they heard you. It's almost like the gods knew. And they were like, okay, fine. How about this? How about we throw out our first 10 out of 10? since Kanye West and then that was that was the first 10 out of 10 since Radiohead right wasn't it like it's not something they do very often for all their yeah, potential I think they've given no they, they might have given a few like retrospective ones for like classic albums but in terms of new releases yeah I think there's been like three maybe um I agree with you that like I, I was gonna save the kind of review of the review for the end because like it's not a it's not a fair starting point to be like is this perfect <laughs> as a review do you know what I mean but I do think well okay hang on no no I'll, I'll deal with it now because I think it's it is interesting and it's all everyone's been talking about in terms of the pitchfork review I thought it was well written I didn't agree with good parts of it um but I do think pitchfork needed that 10 more than Fiona Apple needed it do you know what I mean? Like, it felt quite calculated. I understand the kind of zeitgeist around the album. Like, she feels like a returning artist that was ahead of her time in ter- terms of talking about, I don't know, whether it's feminism or social change. She's a very wordy artist. She's got a great body of work. Um, people are excited. It felt like this will get notices, but it won't be... I don't think it's as brave a score as some people are saying. And I think it kind of propels Pitchfork back into relevancy at a time when, like, only a couple of weeks ago, people were saying the ratings are way off. Now they're suddenly putting a lot of stock into it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It felt like more of Pitchfork making a statement for the sake of it and for their yeah. own kind of body of work. And I've seen some of the, even the writers online kind of saying stuff like, it had to be a 10. It was, you know, it's just like, okay, right, really? <laughs> and like, listen, I mean, like, you get bogged down in ratings. I don't want to do that too hard because I think, I've said it before, but like, if you go on to... If you go onto my Twitter from last week, but like Clash Music wrote a good our rating system about like in 2014, and their argument was no new release should get 10 out of 10 because it needs time to breathe, and I fully fully agree with mm. that. Um, Pitchfork, in terms of their reading on this record, and again, I think it is interesting because I do think that Fiona Apple can go about her day, and it really doesn't matter to her one bit, um, which is probably the mark of a great artist, maybe. But essentially, the idea and the notion that <laughs> no music has ever sounded like this is baffling to me. Uh, I just think that even... I, I yeah. don't think anyone can stand by that whatsoever. It is such a ludicrous statement about anything. And I think it's to this album's credit that I managed to get on with it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For being instantly ticked off. No, I agree. And, like, particularly for um, a writer, like, I know for a fact this writer is obviously a huge fan, um, spoke glowingly and wrote glowingly about the previous album, kind of that quote in particular shocked me because so much of the groundwork for this record was laid on the last one like my takeaway when listening to this and I actually I managed to get a few listens in prior to me being alerted to the pitchfork thing which was great but it was kind of pretty much what I expected which is a very good thing but it's like you can't say it sounds like no music whatsoever when it sounds first of all a lot like her other music and also there's a lot of touchstones here Right. There's also other quotes in the review where it's like talking about how it's kind of bringing down the patriarchy by 
fighting against like um patriarchal concepts of perfection and like then it uses some examples of like oh she'll leave mistakes in and it's kind of talked about in terms of like no artist has ever had a kind of rough and ready approach or aesthetic before they don't leave mistakes in i mean that's been going on for decades upon decades so you know i just while talk of the quality of the record for me and we'll get into it uh, seemed on point some of the context around it felt quite jarring yeah and i mean ultimately i i think any album that has Kara fucking Delavine doing backing vocals and their dogs barking Meows. at the end of the thing is not a ten out of ten. I'm I'm sorry, it isn't. Um, <laughs> the thing the thing that I read this week in terms of context, in terms of like like more so that I, I found much more nutritious than the Pitchfork review was, although this had its own kind of trappings. She did an extremely long interview with Vulture. I don't know if you read that one, but it was done with a, did, a journalist yeah, that she clearly knows very well, has interviewed her before, and is clearly a friend of hers. And there are times in the interview, an interview, by the way, in which I learned a fucking ton. It's a good interview. But there's there's a point in the interview where the journalist turns to her and goes, I know this might sound like a weird question, but are you a genius? And I'm just like, I don't need this. I don't I don't need this, this level of gushing. And like, it's funny because like on Friday morning on my timeline, I mean... I didn't realise that everyone I followed was a massive Fiona Apple fan. Where have you been, guys? Uh, I've never seen you mention her yeah. before. And also, uh, for all the fucking Yaz Queen bollocks that has been doing the rounds off the bat, uh, I haven't really seen a lot of conversation about this from the same kind of aforementioned people. I haven't really seen a lot of chatter about this album. It does feel kind of niche. I, I don't mean to rain anybody's parade or anything, but at the same time, I, I think it's even, and again, like I say, I don't have the context and the history. I could be way off on this one. But even from reading that interview with her and getting her kind of opinions about things and finding out how there are complications in her life, you know, she herself talks about how a lot of this record is about trying to heal her relationships with women, both ones that she knows and ones that she doesn't know, and her kind of difficulties over the years in having relationships with women and realizing years later that maybe it was something that she kind of craved and it's a sisterhood that she needs, but she also accepts that she needs to be called out herself and isn't this perfect person. I think it's an interesting contrast when you have people who are just instantly fucking raising the smash the patriarchy flags and men are shit flags and being like, oh, like, you know, here here she is. Here's this golden fucking queen to take us all away. I'm like, well, she herself doesn't necessarily see herself in that in that deified light. And like, that makes her a more interesting artist for me. And of course, we live in the era of the fucking knee-jerk hot take reaction. It, it must be 10 out of 10. She's absolutely perfect. She fucking sneezes and it's amazing. Tony Clayton Lee for the Irish Times wrote a fairly in the middle review for this one and he got called scum by like a stan out of nowhere <laughs> because like, you know, I, I thought they were exclusively reserved for Ariana Grande fans, but apparently Fiona Apple has her own hardcore fan base. And again, I realise that we've been talking for 10 minutes now and we haven't fully approached the record itself, but the character and the personality that surrounds this is, is quite huge. And I found that overwhelming at times, and then at other times I found myself sinking into the album and I found myself being like, some of these songs are fucking amazing. Some of them, I think, mm-hmm. are twee bollocks. Um, okay, that's interesting. I, I don't know if I'd go with the t- Yeah, I suppose Car- Cara Delevingne meowing is, is a bit twee. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> as I say, like this was kind of what I was, pretty much what I, I expected and what I hoped for. So yes, it is pretty great to my ears. And it continues, as I said, on from the startling work of The Idler Wheel. Um, before even broaching kind of lyrical content and stuff, I think musically she has decided now on like a canvas, a kind of particular set of like, noisy percussive paints um to muddle art forms um 
I can't argue with it being a kind of place where she can deliver her kind of clearest, most forceful expressions, but it did kind of lack the element of surprise that I had with the last record, just kind of how percussive and how rattled it was. And she she pushes it slightly forward where something is lost for me in her move further away from instruments that can lend kind of deep tones and textural harmonies and you know, she used to straddle that world of like, you know, as a pianist, she was in the kind of percussive and the string sense of, you know, she could occupy those spaces. But even the piano was relegated for like large portions of this record. And like the racket she's making is like it does kind of reign supreme, which occasionally can sound thin when you're not fully involved in some of the songs. But overall, it works brilliantly for like thematically where she's going i think um it's like it's it's quite a physical record if you i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it properly on like speakers but it really kind of comes into its own and that's like state it doesn't like it doesn't gulf you maybe or switch your mood but if you let it in and pay attention it can kind of clatter around your brain quite a lot um what's different about this record is where i think the idler wheel was using those kind of found sounds almost and like um tribal rhythms for um like to lend it some intimacy i think in this kind of case she's using that aesthetic for like freedom's sake right because it's quite a righteous album and she's turning outwards and she's kind of dealing with her place in culture her place as a musician um i think she's a person well placed to talk about some of these things and maybe the me too movement in a way that doesn't feel like she's um, writing a kind of reactive thought think piece or something like that you know it feels like she's like yeah, remember me I've been talking about this since the 90s I've lived through it and also Dave as you quite rightly pointed out some of the most interesting stuff is when she's talking about her own relationship with women and how maybe like her relationships with women have been seen through the prism of men um those kind of third-party relationships and how she's felt like an outsider so she's both keenly aware of like i don't know how the patriarchy's vector while also seeming like a, an outsider to the movement which is really interesting to me um i do think there's quite a bit of genius at work here uh, i think it starts amazingly i think i want you to love me is an amazing opener it's really heartening it's got that staircase piano we don't get much elsewhere. Um, it's a bit of a manifesto. Like I love that kind of, you know, sound is still a sound um, when you're around no one. Um, it's kind of a very freeing thing. The likes of Shamika, she's talking about like her childhood. She's opening up there. Um, it's a bit discombobulating. That might have been one of the refrains that put me off a little bit. The title track, though, I thought was fantastic. Those kind of jazzy brushes, some low key bass. And yeah, then gonna, it kind of goes gonna, into. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to I'm going to stop you there. I'm afraid. Yeah. I think the title track is the worst song on here by quite some distance, and I, I found it genuinely irritating to listen to the more. Oh, really, I thought it was a yeah, real yeah. Hi- highlight. Was this because no, of the barking? I, well, that's part <laughs> kind of kind of at the I, end, I, mate. I think it's really really clumsy. I, I I can see her and Cara Delevingne swaying in their fucking sunroom, and it just drives me crazy. Um, I think that it's just it's just really laboured, and also uh, it's getting a lot of press that people are like, she took the the name of it from an episode of season two of the fall with the Gillian Anderson cop show and I'm like wow I mean <laughs> really the fall is I mean fuck me the fall is like 
silly but compelling enough in season one like it's 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 good enough at times that it tricks you into thinking that jamie dornan is a capable actor and it has a good ending and then they brought it back for season two and it just goes off a cliff instantly and becomes one of the worst shows ever and everyone's like oh this sophisticated drama of course she was drawn to this and she managed to take that sequence and bring it to this and i'm like what do you fucking the, the level of projection that is following this album rent you mentioned the me too thing which is absolutely true and like again i think like fiona apple commentary on these things is very nuanced and insightful and like i guess just a real quick um sensitivity warning for what i'm about to say because the interview goes into this for anyone who does not know she was raped when she was oh yeah, of age. yeah she talks about this in the interview she talks about how she only really fully got mad at her uh, attacker and her rapist a year ago at this stage of her life she's in her early 40s now i think and essentially yeah early 40s she's asked about why that was the case and she said that she was taught at a young age to pray for people and that's what she did when she got home after the assault she prayed for her assailant and this was the what had been indoctrinated into her in her life and like She's clearly lived many lives, and I I do want to say that you know I, on, on the occasions when I'm when I'm kind of ragging on this record because there are parts of it I don't like. There's a lot of it I do like, and I do think that she is clearly a very vibrant personality, and obviously clearly is has intense confidence, and is a visionary. I I think that she has realized her vision here quite like perfectly, I guess. But I just don't I can't go with it all the time. I mean, I I think Shamik is great. Actually, I, I, that refrain worked for me. But there's just times on it when like on Fetch the Bowl Cutters and on Relay when I'm just like that kind of like I don't know. I mean, that kind of like fucking really just ugh, back and forth kind of elastic band snap thing of this kind of very like, you know, I I I, I just, what is the word I'm looking for? like hippy dippy or something like it just kind of makes me go ugh. Yeah, Relay is one of those weird choices. Um, like there's a, there's very few of the choices on this record where I was like, oh, why did you go with that? Like the the refrain from Relay, right, is something she wrote, I think, when she was like 15. And it, to me, it doesn't really work as a line. Like she's been talking in interviews about how she used to be a writer that was trying to be a writer, which makes a huge amount of sense to me. I'm sure we can all, like people that write can understand that. Um, whereas I think generally her lyrics are very natural. Um, she's very impressive. But then she has this song where most of it is preoccupied with this line that feels kind of clumsy to me. And it just, uh, it doesn't quite work. It's it's at that moment she kind of veers into the realms of like, kind of slam poetry maybe, do you know what I mean? Like you're, because of the aesthetic, I think you're always in danger of it becoming that kind of like, I'm doing spoken word and it's all very wordy. And she's so good that she steers it away from that most of the time. Um, It becomes stuff that like could fall out of a New Yorker short story and, you know, it's very accomplished. But when it kind of dips, you are reminded of very irritating other uh, pieces of work. Yeah, I think the uh, the dress work, though, the arrangements on this record are really, really impressive. I think stuff like on Shamika and on Under the Table, on Rack of His as well, there's just these moments, these flourishes where, as you say, I mean, like I did actually, I listened to it on like the speaker downstairs in my kitchen. I listened to it on the speaker in, in, in my room. I, I went for walks with it. I listened to it on good headphones. And I think it is a, a very sonically re- rewarding piece of work. I think it does have 
a lot of layers, a lot of like a lot more than you might expect from like at least what I might have expected going in, being like, oh, this is just going to be fairly like you know, um, I mean, in a week when and don't get me wrong, it's for a good cause, but in a week when Brezzy has sent around two hundred ukuleles across the nation in a bid to cheer people up and get them involved, uh, I've feared the uke on this record, and I don't think it really is on here at all. Uh, I think her mastery of instrumentation is very apparent on this. I think the production is is quite rich. Um, I do like this album quite a bit. And there was even a point during the week when I was like, oh, I think I, I think this actually is brilliant. And then I listened to it a few more times. Like, like yeah, I had the moment where I was like, I, I think it's finally unlocked for me now. And then I listened to it a few more times and I was like, nah, I don't know. I think it's kind of circular. I think it does kind of make the same points uh, here and there. I think there are, like, it's, it's my classic problem of, I think there are better versions of the worst version of this songs on the same album and such i'm like okay you know this is clearly superior to this and you know it doesn't waver i don't get bored by the end i do think it's a bit baggy at times there are moments when i'm like i i I, i'm so close to seeing what other people are seeing and hearing what other people are hearing but for the most part i think it's just a pretty good record which is no crime for me but i wasn't i wasn't swept away and but again i mean like considering i went into this being like oh my god the fucking critical notices and then they kind of ebbed away they didn't really mean anything by the end of it this one doesn't mean anything by the end of it either she's clearly in a class of her own i'm just not quite ready to sign up for a full term it's <laughs> fair enough um yeah like as as someone that was a fan um this confirmed for me that she is really working at the highest possible level. And even the moments that I, I am not quite on board with, and I do think, you know, how abrasive it occasionally can be. I mean, it's, it's nothing extreme, but relatively speaking, you know, she goes into realms of like a Tom Waits, Rain Dogs kind of thing. You know, it's got those percussive elements and it can feel a little like you're longing for some kind of emotional resonance at times with just a bit of kind of deep piano or something guitars some some splashes of color but for what she was trying to achieve with this i think she does it completely and there's there is totally startling moments yet again um you know rack of his newspaper great ladies i think works really well in terms of what we're talking about of, of being an outsider and also kind of giving her like world advice and sounding weary but also she's also one of those artists i think that is like often considered as a bit dour and um you know, vulnerable and people have to take care of her. And she's actually quite funny at times. And she's, you know what I mean? Like, I think that comes through quite a lot, which is great. Um, I would probably give this strong 8.5 or a 9. Like, it's it's in line with The Idler Wheel for me. I don't know if there's songs of the caliber of a, a Valentine or a Werewolf that I'm going to come back to. Um, I think this is... This is kind of into the realms of To Pimp a Butterfly for me, where I really admire it. And I think it could have, you know, cultural importance, but I can't imagine myself going back to it a huge amount. I'll go back to the rest of the discography more. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, it's probably a nine. Um, I don't think it's a 10. Who knows if anything's a 10, but it's right there with the Iger Wheel for me. Okay. I mean, I didn't find her dour at all. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. I actually, I did find her quite witty, sharp and intelligent throughout. It's just not really my speed. I think I will go back to it, but I'll probably, you know, be selective on what I go for. And not that it matters, but for me, it's a seven out of 10. Not a 10 out of 10, a seven out of 10. (laughs) Please don't come after me. Uh, But an interesting experience for sure. Um, I should note as well, but before we press on with the show, uh, in an update from last week, and because it's just apparently become apparent before we recorded it, um, 
Insane Clown Posse, Insane Clown Posse have cancelled the gathering of the Juggalos for 2020, uh, saying that they refuse <laughs> to Responsible risk... Responsible young men. <laughs> they refuse to risk even one Juggalo life. So there you go. You can rest easy, Craig. <laughs> Fantastic. It's Fair play to them. Okay. I expected nothing less. <laughs> That's good news. Uh, there's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on. No, 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 no. If you've got a parable here, by all, get the face paint on and go for it. <laughs> no, no. I think like I, I expected nothing less. I think they're they're good lads. It's a it's a real community. Um, so they would never risk the safety of a juggalo. Um, it's it's heartening <laughs> to hear. From one critically overblown album to about ten more, hopefully, <laughs> it's time for this week's <laughs> no encore top five. Craig, you pitched this one to me. I did find myself coming to you and tugging on your coattails and saying, "Hey, wait a second. What does it fully mean? So, what's your definition, baby?" Yeah, so I guess this is like us um, being a bit contrary, uh, looking around at um, the critical canon, be it like old classics from, you know, decades ago that are seen as like the greatest works of art of all time, or more recent kind of beloved releases that would have been pitching up at end of year lists across publications that we just never quite got. Um, We don't have to absolutely hate them. Um, That might make it more fun. I'm sure some of those will definitely crop up. But just like where you think, okay, you know, this this is a decent piece of work it is not earth chattering it is not the greatest album of all time what are people talking about the kind of albums that like if we said in the pub with our mates i don't really like this most of the table would be like what that's basically <laughs> it that's the criteria <laughs> okay that and i know good. i'm going to be like what <laughs> no, that's, that's the whole damn point so okay let's kick off this week's top five with my number five Absolutely, I'll have all of that you got. So that's uh, What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis from 1995. Craig, you talked over the uh, the music there for a second, saying that that's a tremendous song. That's up for debate. Uh, I will say this, though. <laughs> I am kind of starting with a bit of a controversial Remember one Remember Ryan Adams saved of... us? <laughs> <laughs> he found the song. Everyone's favourite uh, I am cover. starting yeah. off with a... With a slight, slight piece of controversy here in that this actually wasn't amazingly reviewed at the time. It did get a bit of a lukewarm reception. However, I yeah. think you'll find that this was on everyone's, the posters on everyone's fucking bedroom wall. It, it's, it's, you know, your older brother, the album, essentially. And this was such a launch pad. It was the biggest thing in the fucking world. It gave permission. You talked before about, um, you know, about like, what was it, Travis's terrible cover of Baby One More Time, giving permission to lads to be yeah. fucking wankers about, like, you know, pop music. This gave permission for lads to just be wankers, essentially, for a very, very long time. I'm not sure some people have ever really recovered from it. And essentially, when it was re-released in recent years, that's when the critical acclaim came back in properly. I mean, this has a fucking 8.9 on the aforementioned Pitchfork. Everyone is, like, looking to this as, like, some kind of... A totemic classic of Britpop, 
My argument is that it's a pretty fucking ropey album, full of really, really bad songs. It is. And not very, flows terribly yeah. and sounds awful. And I don't think that this song is any good either. Don't get me wrong. It was it was an anthem and it, it, it meant a lot. But Jesus, if you really break it down now in 2020, I think it sounds like muck. Yeah, like I, I kind of like this song. It's way overplayed. It's way overrated. Uh, there's a couple other numbers on it, but you're right. I remember going back to it like a couple of years ago. Not even going back to it because I was never a huge fan. I just, I knew the hits. Um, But yeah, it flows terribly. There's kind of instrumentals and is there a song called Swamp Song or something like that? Like, which is just Swamp like song really lumpy. Swamp Song 2. <laughs> yeah, I remember that being, yeah, it's just horrendous. Um, terrible use of parentheses as well in the album title horrendous album title definitely maybe is great um, but I think there's a case to be made that definitely maybe is good their b-sides around that time were great and then they fell off an absolute cliff and it's interesting like just w- this week I've got a few I've actually got some quotes here where I was looking through old um, Q stuff right um, and I was reminded of Razorlight's second album being given five stars um, and then I was like, oh yeah, so it's like, it's like be here now, right? Because the follow-up album to this, it was a case of the critics you're talking about who kind of wrote off this album, trying to make up for it with an even worse album, Be Here Now, a few years later. And Dorian Linsky from The Guardian um, talked to like four of the journalists who gave Be Here Now like fucking five-star reviews at the time. It's like, so what were you thinking? And like, can you ever be seen in public again? <laughs> it's so funny. It's a really good read. Um, there's one guy, Roy. I did consider Razor Life for this. Oh yeah, man. Uh, but I think they're kind of already, you know, the subject of scorn enough. One guy, Ray Wilkinson, said of "Be Here Now" um, that he was carried away by the fandom, um, and he was kind of like on the side of like the council estate people that were into <laughs> into Oasis. He said, but such was the phenomenal momentum you did want it to keep going for them in the wider world. Um, he remembers at the time thinking there was something not quite right about the record. <laughs> Um, so he erred on the side of generosity and then he goes, I was completely wrong, of course, but at least it was hysterically bad to the extent where it's remarkable, which is a great quote. Uh, on the subject of, of this album though, in terms of quotes, like, I mean, like, uh, there's a book called Britpop with an exclamation mark and the writer, John Harris concluded that the initial negative reviews of What's the Story, Morning Glory missed the album's universal strengths, saying that those who fussed about the music's more artful aspects were missing the point. The fact that Noel's songs contained so many musical echoes seemed to couch the album in an air of homely reassurance. He believed that the quote, ordinary nature of some of the songs turned out to be part of its deeply populist appeal. And the album, in fact, uh, as described in the Rolling Stone album guide in 2004, is apparently a triumph full of bluster and bravado, but also moments of surprising tenderness. I think that's more patronising than just giving it a bad review, right? Being like, <laughs> oh, well, the fucking, you know, the masses fucking like it because it's nice and simple for them. <laughs> you know, like plenty of music has been complex and inventive and original and been massive. You don't need to go back to fucking status quo retreads. I think on the whole, I just think it's it's just not an enjoyable listen. I think it just sounds annoying to listen to. It's like it's like someone shouting at you in a beer garden for approximately 49 or 50 minutes. And I've, you know, I've had enough of that in my day, Craig. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, we'll go on to my number five, which is also not enjoyable to listen to. I just want four walls and a door to be set for my girls. I don't need 
Yeah, so that was My Girls by Animal Collective. One of the songs on the records that I do kind of like, although listening back to the whole thing, I was like, those woos sound so forced. Um, it's from Meriwether Post Pavilion, which was released in January 2009. Um, earned a 9.6 in Pitchfork. <laughs> Didn't quite make the 10. <laughs> I really tried with this record. I don't know what your relationship was like with it, but I actually, you know, some of Animal Collective's earlier stuff, and they always rubbed people the wrong way, um, vocally, in terms of being, you know, quite twee in an American way as well but I thought they had some kind of rough and ready charm and experimental Beach Boys vibes that I could get on board with this was the moment they really smoothed out their sound completely they went incredibly safe and I think incredibly bland overall and suddenly got like the most acclaim possible and they just were like standard bearers for this whole like you know I don't know Brooklyn movement or whatever it was at the time around about 2009 this was heralded to high heaven it was a fiona apple scenario and i remember just like it's a long enough record just trying to wait through it and being like it's going to click at some point it is going to click and it's just wallpaper <laughs> with a with an album cover that if you look at it it's an optical illusion man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my uh, relationship with this album is in the first year of college i went to galway on a student trip with my class uh, i basically abandoned my class and went to hang out with my mates who were in galway instead of hanging out with them and then i remember having a fairly uh, party heavy weekend and then coming back to Dublin, uh, going to go and see Animal Collective play in Tripod, which of course is no longer with us. And I was, I didn't sleep. I had no sleep on me. I, I, like, I fucking, I was so tired. I was so dead to the world. And I went to the Animal Collective show and I was hyped, man, because I, I liked this album. And I, I think My Girls is still a fantastic song. I'm, I'm going to say that right up front. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's some other good stuff on there, like Summertime Clothes, is that on there, I think? Um, I like it. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I, I got into it, but I, I did agree that, like, I kept waiting for it to, to, to really work for me on a 9.6 level. Um, but I do think it's a good album. I think, I think it's their best album. I mean, like, in terms of one I will, I will readily throw on. I mean, their best song for oh, me. Oh, no, man. Their best song for me is uh, not on this <laughs> they album. They actually though. had some something and then they threw <laughs> their best song for me came before this it's a uh, forever green which i think is an absolutely astonishing song that's a brilliant it's fucking song. amazing yes it is um, it's a great song but it's like it struck me as interesting how quickly after this album came out they just kind of faded slightly and you know panda bear i kind of i think is interesting as an artist i like some of their solo stuff ish but they really fell out of conversation i think people without admitting it, kind of went, oh, we got a bit carried away with ourselves there. Maybe I'm reading the room wrong, but I I, I always felt that. I was like, Jesus, really? 9.6? This is going to change music. And then that was the end. So in terms of the end of my coming back from Galway story to go see them live, I went to the gig and they just were, you want to talk about wallpaper, it was just ambience and no kick and no propulsion whatsoever and I was standing up and I was like I think I'm going to actually fall asleep I think I'm actually going to legitimately not even comment like like comically I think I'm genuinely going to just pass out while, while I'm on my feet here because I can't get over the lack of life at this show oh my god why aren't they playing anything they didn't play forever and green which I was desperate to hear and I remember I, I've told this story before but I remember like at one stage about 45 minutes in or an hour in some bloke in the crowd could take no fucking more and he shouted out 
play something with a fucking beat. And it was like, I don't encourage heckling ever. But man, he had a fucking point. I think they finished with My Girls or Summertime Clothes. So they finally like, but it was just, it, it was like that gig that you go to where you're like, oh no, it's just like a wash of of, of noise and it's not what I signed up for. Um, it's interesting. I don't think as you kind of, as you kind of uh, alluded to there, this record for all its bluster, it didn't have much of a cultural footprint and I almost never go back to it. Yeah. Um. All right, dude. I'm gonna crack on with your number four. You sound defeated already. <laughs> no, I was just thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking. Like it was. Yeah, it was such a boring. Like it was. <laughs> listening to the album was like you know someone's giving you like an E or something, and you're like waiting for it to kick in for hours, and it never does. Like, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on a bit of a this, non-existent come down. This next one's kind of similar in a way. Number four for me. Year is 2007. Dave is working in Extra Vision. He's buying the enemy and he's waiting patiently for the new album from Arcade Fire. Neon Bible is the record and it dropped to so much hype and so much attention. And it's a bit of a damp squib, isn't it? I was talking to Kieran from Delorentos this week and he summed it up quite well when he said that it's um very good songs, but a, uh, like on a on, on a collection of bad songs or something. It was like I can't remember his exact words. Maybe it wasn't that compelling. Um, but essentially, I thought he he kind of hit the nail on the head because there are <laughs> there are sorry, Karen, there are some fantastic songs on this album. I think No Cars Go is up there with a career highlight. I think they've got some belters, but generally, I found this to be so ponderous and so like happy with itself and just really dirgy like you know just real kind of like oh my god like like it sounds sludgy in its production uh the pacing is way the fuck off there's like a good song every now and then some of these songs don't even sound tonally connected whatsoever you've got like i mean like we played that that snippet there is as lively as that song gets and it's got like that kind of cool little kick in and then you're kind of brought back down to earth again keep the car running is on here and it's a bit of a belter but like generally i just found it to be really fucking it's strange like i went back to this week and i was like okay maybe like there are times when i trick myself into thinking this is actually fucking amazing i mean my body is a cage and everything and other times i'm just like man i feel like i'm in quicksand here i feel like i'm being kind of suffocated and every yeah. now and then there's this golden heavenly rope that comes down and pulls me out and then you just fucking throw me back in yeah, that's a good description because I do think where like the first album, how massive everything was and like how many of them there were, it was like it really it made it propulsive. It was there was great energy. They kind of came racing out of the traps. But this feels like so weighed down by the sound. It is quite lumpen. Um, I think, you know, with tracks like Neon Bible, you've got like like you're planting the seeds for everything now and all that shitty concept were very clever stuff that was to come. Um, so yeah, like a handful of songs I still go back to, but um, I do think this is an album as well. It kind of grows in stature, like in critical acclaim, the worse Arcade Fire get because people are like, oh, but fucking, you know, Neon Bible was sensational. <laughs> it's every year it seems to get better and better where in fact it gets worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, but even like at the time, uh, some of the some of the commentary in this one were like, you know, 
this is a commentary on the post 9-11 American world. The band is seemingly sending a beacon to other reasonable people forced underground by the world's insanity. I'm like, I don't think so. Wow. What was that in? The, <laughs> you know, what publication That was? was in the AV Club. Yeah. So, uh, okay. then Stylus said... <laughs> Actually, I think... <laughs> The album. I think Q gave it five stars. I'm sensing a trend. <laughs> <laughs> I should say, by the way, that um, fucking it was the Razorlight big five red stars, much like when I saw Empire Magazine give King Kong uh, five red stars, that I was like, oh shit, it's over. Okay, fair enough. We had a good run. Uh, I did mention there, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Stylus Magazine <laughs> said the album touches on violence, paranoia, and the falsity of simple labor, the war call of organized religion, a what's what of indie turmoil after 2003. I just love how people were so desperate to stitch the fucking zeitgeist into this band's DNA. Uh, I should note, by the way, during its first week, the album debuted at number one in Ireland. So there you go. And um, I believe in the US, it was outcharted only by Notorious B.I.G.'s Greatest Hits compilation. And in the UK, it was outcharted only by Kaiser Chiefs, Yours Truly, Angry Mob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of those interesting like facts about Arcade Fire where they're like, you know, a pretty massive band by indie standards, but they've never had a number one album in the US or maybe the UK as well, um, which is just one of those things. They've, they've always been pipped at the post. Oh, well, maybe they'll come back and like do whatever. All right. So my number four is um, kind of following the team of Brooklyn Hipsters um spoiled kind of for overrated choice with this group um but i settled on their farewell album that was not a farewell So LCD Sound System, the album being This Is Happening. (laughs) Um, As I say, I was kind of spoiled for choice. Listen, LCD Sound System don't grind my gears. Um, They kind of make me chuckle with the audacity of James Murphy. Like, good for that guy. He's made a career out of, like, I don't know, being Barry from High Fidelity, but in going into electropop rather than, like, some soul (laughs) covers band. I never got the kind of metapop of Losing My Edge. Um, you know, Daft Punk is playing in my house grand, but like it started this, that whole like, this is a joke song thing from them. Sound of Silver, massively overrated. All My Friends is amazing, of course. Uh, Someone Great is probably their best song. So that was like given a pass. There's nothing redeeming about this album. Um, it's the farewell album that wasn't a farewell overhyped by themselves you know james murphy's on the cover and he's like oh you know i'm iconic this is goodbye (laughs) you've got fucking drunk girls grossness which he described himself as a short dumb song it's about four minutes long every other song is about nine minutes you know i'm sure like people love dance yourself clean but it's just fucking amazing a tasteful nothingness no man it's just nearly nine minutes of do you know why do you know why you think it's amazing yeah because it sounds like enola gay (laughs) it sounds like enola gay (laughs) the song we just heard is fucking all i want hero's guitar it's like pastiched (laughs) to death um i can change is just fucking love action do you know what I mean? Every song is a better song with just him doing his Roy Brooklyn thing over it. And like, fair play to the guy, but he's got a couple of good songs. None of them are on this. <laughs> what about Home? The last track. It's very, it's very nice, Craig. It's very nice little heartfelt number. <laughs> Hang on a second. 
How L- in the name large of parts Christ. of this sound pleasant, but they were such a massive band. I was like, what am I on crazy pills? Like, yeah, you are because you picked this. You didn't pick American Dream. Are you fucking joking? Well, do you know what? I went back to American Dream due to they released an Electric Ladyland session thing where they played stuff from it live, and I was like, oh, I actually like. I used to. I kind of like the title track because it sounds a bit like someone great. I think the opener was all right. So it got a pass. But I agree, like American Dream was like, oh, thank God they came back to, you know, record this necessary and vital record. And I was just like, what? (laughs) When we reviewed it at the time, I think we were the only people that had a bad word to say about it. You weren't allowed to say it. Like it's all their stuff is like, all their stuff is like seven out, six or seven out of 10. Like it's fine, but it's just like so much standing on the shoulders of giants that it's, it's beyond a joke. Like it reminds me of, I remember the first time I realised that Discovery by Daft Punk was all based around samples and like wasn't, like, you know, samples that weren't changed that much. And I remember how like disheartened I was by it. Still a great album, but like, this is that. Like LCD sound system or that, but they don't use samples. They just play other people's songs without crediting them. I don't know. I definitely have more time for LCD sound system than you do. I think Sound of Silver is very good. I would agree that it's overrated. I thought this album was fine. I don't remember it being like deified. American Dream, I think, is absolute fucking toilet water. And I like stuff like uh, Losing My Edge. I think Losing My Edge is classic. And I think Daft Punk is playing in my house is fine. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not like at the cult of Murphy. I mean, when I read that Meet Me in the Bathroom book, which you want to talk about overrated pieces of art, that's also up there. Um, but like he comes across as particularly just like gross and not interesting. And yeah, there's definitely yeah. a weird hyperinflation. That whole scene really didn't seem like one you would like to be a part of the DFA thing. Like it just seemed like everyone's not like compared to like the strokes kind of imploding and like Ryan Adams hanging around that seemed like more palatable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> I should say though, because it's, it's, it's worth saying I did get to see LCD sound system on that recent tour I was at the Olympia Theatre on one of those nights. They played for two hours and it was genuinely one of the best gigs I've ever been to. So I, I, I'm i definitely more on board with LCD Sound System in general. But I, I must say, I'm I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this complete and utter burial <laughs> from you of this. So <laughs> I started by saying I don't really, they don't grind my gears. <laughs> they're, they're perfectly fine. Someone Great is an incredible song. So, you know, if he managed to pull that off, it was worth them existing, but overrated, overrated, overrated. Okay, let's uh, let's flip the script here because I'm pretty sure it's going to be... The script, you say? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a total role <laughs> reversal for my number three. Here we go. I think progresses. I call and you come through. Blow all my friendships to sit in hell with you. But we're the greatest. They'll hang us in the loof. Down the back, but who cares? Still the loof. Okay, I know that you are not my type. Still, I fall. I'm just a sucker. Let you fill her mind. But what about love? Nothing wrong with it. Supernatural. Just moving close to me, close to you. Feel it close to me. Okay, right. That's uh, Melodrama by Lord from 2017. An album I really do not like. I will say that Homemade Dynamite... You don't. <laughs> I don't. Homemade Dynamite's a good song. <laughs> Perfect Places is a good song. I, I don't get the Lord thing. I liked the first record and I remember like peak Dave Hanready trolling of you. I remember being in Four Dame Lane in Dublin and I remember saying to you like, listen mate, 
I'll take that first Lord album over any Beatles album any day of the week. <laughs> You're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I was like, yeah, yeah, Crying cool. You know, she point. seems good. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm, I'm on board here. And then melodrama came around, and all of a sudden. Again, I, I talk too often about the Stan culture thing, but Jesus fucking Christ, this album almost gave birth to it in some respects. I can't get over the legion of crazy fans that are out there who are just fucking like mouthwatering over everything that she does. I saw a clip doing the rounds there, like apropos of nothing of her in the studio, like talking about Greenlight. And they were like, she knew, she knew she was making absolute magic. And I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, tone it down. And I just, yeah, I like this clip as well. Uh, this the song. Yeah, you really picked a choice clip. I can't argue with it. <laughs> I mean, of all the songs, I, like especially like that bit, like at the start of it is actually like it's a very repetitive section, and I can't listen to it without my skin crawling. And then on top of that, it's just fucking. I talked earlier about like sinking into quicksand. This is being buried alive, and this is seeing an extra heap of dirt come down across your features when she gets into the still the Louvre. I'm just like Jesus, fucking put yeah. a bullet in my fucking brain. Um, I appreciate that Lord is a touchstone for a lot of young people, a lot of young women, and you know it seems to have attracted a huge following from the LGBTQI community. And like, here's the thing: it's not for me. It's not for me. I'm a fucking, you know, mid-30s white male and that's fine. But I I like pop music and I like good music and I think that this album is aptly titled. It is so overwrought. It is so precious. It's so fucking worthy and I just, I can't. Uh, Some of the reviews, man, Jesus Christ. A cocky challenge being issued to her musical contemporaries. A rudely excellent album. Uh, like a uh, sleek and humid pop record full of grief and hedonism crafted with the utmost care and wisdom cathartic dramatic and everything else you could want an album titled melodrama to be a tour de force put me out of my fucking misery the pandemic of music yeah like i i quite like this um <laughs> I, I, I defended it at the time. Um, I think musically, it's there's some very good stuff on it. I, I couldn't defend the lyrics, and I remember saying that at the time. Um, thematically, what she was going for, um, it's like, you know, that tr- transitional moment from teen to kind of adulthood and like the excitement of nightlife and blah, 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 which lends itself to a lot of cringy stuff, and she doesn't disappoint. Um, so I agree with you that the debut, she like lyrically, she was quite incisive and funny, and here a lot of it is kind of unbearable. Like that whispery Louvre thing is just so, I just, I can't be doing with that whatsoever. But I do think musically there's some interesting stuff there. Um, there's a couple of good songs. Um, it is overrated. Um, it's still overrated. But um, like I look forward to hearing from her again in the future. I don't know. I think there was, there's a lot of kind of potential there from the record if she just reins in some of those lyrical disasters yeah i called it the pandemic of music there which might be a bit harsh so i'll walk that back and i'll just state for the record <laughs> this is the loss in translation musical equivalent and loss in translation has got a pretty damn good soundtrack but as a film and as a narrative it's absolutely abhorrent what you got up next okay this is a record we've also reviewed and i think at the time i was slightly too lenient on it Suicide before you see this tear fall down my eyes me and my baby we gonna be all right we gonna live a good life Okay, 
with the good hair. Yeah, Carl Becky with the good hair. Um, another meme from Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> when we reviewed it way back when, I think I gave it like a seven or something. I, I kind of was a big fan of the risks she took on her self-title record and some of that kind of carried over. I never really got the Beyonce love. That was, sorry, Lemonade, of course. Uh, the song was Sorry. Um, You're going to get I, like, so you know, much trouble, Craig. She, you know, she's got a great technical voice. Um, and I know people now say she's a better rapper than Jay-Z because she gets handed versus she just kind of delivers them all right. I mean, as bad as Jay-Z's been, don't do that to the man. Um, but I've always been like a Solange fan. I've, I've said Losing You is better than any song in Beyonce's entire back catalogue. I don't quite get it, this whole, like, she's Wonder Woman. I mean, what about the sweatshops, all right? That's all I'm saying. What about the sweatshops? This was hailed as like an instant, like canonical classic it was preordained and the whole kind of story around you know jay-z cheating and her responding and then 444 it was just so like it seemed pr worked to me just some agency roadmap the whole response um you've got those tabloidy moments you've got that thing that drake now does where like lines are just stuck in because they will instantly become memes and quotables and at the time, I said, you know, there's a lot of kind of cooks working on this one. Um, there's a lot of collaborators. She's drawing on, you know, the kind of the hottest artist around from, you know, indie culture at the time. And I said at the time, she kind of makes it her own. I think she does by and large, but actually she never really raises up any of those influences or makes it something different. So you've got like, you know, a dumb weekend song, Six Inch, which is just from the title on, I'm lost. The James Blake interlude is just watery, barely nothingness. Um, Freedom is, you know, I, m- I remember the time, yeah, it's a great kind of 60s organ soul, Jimi Hendrix vibes production. Never gone back to it. Don't Hurt Yourself is just a standard Jack White album track. Um, I don't know. I think All Night's a winner. It's it's like, I love that sample. Hold Up for sure works. Um, I think that's like Ezra Koenig and Father John Misty collaborated on that. I think her, the production on it's great. Her delivery of it's great. Formation, the bedspring thing, that's kind of a interesting sound, but... I know I just this is seen as like one of the greatest pop albums of all time at this point I think and it's just not the songs aren't there you can't criticize Beyonce you can't look at Beyonce to be anything other than godlike I don't understand it myself I never really have I would agree with you I find Solange to be a much more compelling artist even though I'm still I'm not fully on board with the level of hype that attracts her as well and yeah I hate the whole fucking the Jay-Z quote of like three great albums were made in that lift that night. I'm like, fuck off. Um, it's, it's, it is look, like Beyonce means an awful lot to an awful lot of people. And I understand that. And that's cool. But again, I just find the, the noise and the, the, the level of sheer hyperbole that is there to be just like chaotic. And I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> again, I, I struggle with the idea of this, you know, go to a fucking break glass in case of patriarchy thing where it's like, well, you know, 25 male writers are credited on the record. You know what I mean? Like, why is, why is that not a part of the conversation? I'm not saying that you can't have your fucking feminist anthems, but uh, this, this surface level takeaway always bothers me. And it seems to kind of, Beyonce seems to drown in it. I mean, like it's the Coachella thing, Beychella, you know, it's like, it's, did you see it? It was it was the world's changed that everything. day. It was everything, yeah, of course, as we know. And like I, I, you talked about the idea of like these kind of retrospective reviews damaging the likes of Oasis with some patronization. I always find it incredibly patronizing when people add on those layers and those levels to pop stars of like here's five extra five thousand extra hyperbole points where I'm like, 
I think you're just damaging the art. You're damaging the work. You're damaging the craft. You're damaging what goes in there. And yet to me, more than anything else, because I know I'm beating a fairly fucking boring drum there, more than anything else, I don't really believe Beyonce and I don't really take much That's from totally what she has it, yeah. to say. She's just very artificial and it feels like anyone could be singing these songs. She's like a pop avatar, like a Taylor Swift, you know, just created in a lab. And for whatever reason, people just think that she's literally perfect and I don't get it. Cool. You're number two. Yeah, a bit more, uh, bit more lighthearted this one, I think. Okay, yeah, my my intensely on-brand choice is, of course, Daft Punk and Random Access Memories from 2013. Anyone who knows me will should know that uh, during my time with Joe.ie, I wrote an article basically just going track by track and saying that it was the worst album of their career. And for a, liter- a literal year and a half later, I would find myself getting hate mail. I think it might have finally stopped, but now that I've said that, I'm sure I'll wake up one tomorrow morning. I'm absolutely baffled by the Daft Punk stan culture that's out there because it's not just the aforementioned Beyonce's and Lords, it's also Daft Punk in the fucking back half of their career. Although I guess this did totally revitalise them. And okay, for so for some context, much like Craig, I was a big Daft Punk fan back in the day as well. Uh, one of my most tragic life memories is learning after the fact that a friend of mine had a free spare ticket to one of their gigs. I think it was in like Marley Park in 2006 or something. And didn't ask me because he didn't think I liked them. And I was big on the Daft Punk train at the time. I like think that they have some amazing stuff, even if they are without question thieves who should probably be in jail. But essentially they've got some unbelievable songs to this day. And then Random Access Memories came along. And listen, don't get me wrong. You're hearing a bit of, you know, that kind of disco funk there and you might be like yeah man i'm on board this is great if you like that song i was yeah if you like that song lose yourself to dance i've got some great news for you it's a loop for six minutes so so you just get to hear that over and over and over again of course this is the record that gave birth to get lucky one of the most tragic crimes against music in in, in recent years best and songs of the all sound, time the sound of many, <laughs> oh, sorry oh, i didn't i went a different way the sound of many a summer basically on this one they teamed up with Nile rogers they teamed up with pharrell they got in touch with the likes of paul williams and, and some other people and they were like okay cool let's pay some tribute to the wonderful world of disco while also bringing our space flecked thing to it the resulting album is a genuine mess. And I was kind of like, I mean, it's such an obvious choice for me. And I was like, but surely it wasn't that well rated, was it? No, it really fucking was. Uh, Q, Craig's beloved Q magazine, referred to it as, by some margin, Daft Punk's best album in a career that's already redefined dance music at least twice. It is, in short, a mind blower. The UK Independent said that Random Access Memories breeds life into the safe music that dominates today's charts with its sheer ambition. It's an exciting journey and one that for all its musical twists and turns has its feet planted on the dance floor and entertainment weekly said it's it's a headphones album in an age of radio singles a bravura live performance that stands out against pro forma knob twiddling a jazzy disco attack on the basic house beat a full collaboration at a time when the superstar dj stands alone if edm is turning humans into robots daft punk are working hard to make robot pop 
feel human again. Human again. Oh, that's nicely written. Um, the the um, attack on kind of safe music thing is really weird because this is such a safe Get album. Lucky. Like, <laughs> it really is. He joking? I have a like soft spot, obviously, for Get Lucky, and I think you know they were using like analog instruments and they wanted to sound lush and rich, and I think overall. It's like, it's pleasant listening. It's just a very warm sounding old fashioned record. Um, You know, I like Instant Crush, which has Julian Casablancas on it. I think that's probably the album's high point. I like the kind of the Giorgio Boy Marauder track. Hang on, but yeah, hang on, hang on, hang I mean, on, at the hang time, on, hang on. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you've set it up perfectly, Craig. I have queued up that one as well. Let's take a listen to the Giorgio Boy Marauder track, because again, to me, I was just, the first time I heard this, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I had idea what to do, but I knew I needed a click. So we put the click on the 24 track, which then was synced to the Moog modular. I knew that could be a sound of the future, but I didn't realize how much the impact would be. My name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me Giorgio. The fucking state of it. Oh, I really found that heartwarming. I mean, the song itself is just like every 80s theme tune ever. (laughs) Nah, I can't. I can't can't believe you're defending this homage. Well, I'm defending it from a point of view of like, it's a seven. Do you know what I mean? I never thought it was more. I was shocked to see the reviews were so, so great. Um, Because I thought it was just seen as like a a nice kind of throwaway summer record that was pleasant to have on, you know, at a barbecue or something. Not that I was at, had any barbecues where it was being played, you now that I think about it. Maybe a few would get lucky. But um, yeah, no, I agree. Massively overrated. And considering the amount of like hate mail you've got, it definitely deserves its place. All right, Absolutely we'll move on to my number two, will we? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm now into the realms of, I shouldn't really be doing this. Um, <laughs> this is like something that is probably seen as untouchable, but let's let's go for it. Yeah, that's Inner City Blues by Marvin Gaye, taken from What's Going On, the greatest soul album apparently ever released. Um, I'm going to start by saying Inner City Blues is an incredible, incredible song. Mercy, Mercy Me is maybe the best kind of like environmental song ever released. Title track's great. Um, So I was just giving you a blast there of some actually good music. But when, when was the last time you, Dave, or maybe you, dear listener, actually listened to What's Going On, which is just seen as like you know, untouchable, um, error-defining, immaculate and perfect. Dave, have you listened to it lately? I will confess <laughs> that I've listened to the A Perfect Circle cover of What's Going On probably more than I've listened to <laughs> the admittedly phenomenal original. Uh, what, 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 kind of, what kind of entrapment point are you trying to make here, Craig? The amount of filler on this album. There's three good songs and the rest is like you're into a song called What's Happening Brother, Flying High in the Friendly Sky, Save the Children, God is Love. There's spoken word. It's just like you talked about Fiona Apple just kind of repeating herself a bit. This is just a case in point of like when someone's making a very good point, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go on for a full album. (laughs) 
Um, it's just formless filler. It's like pretty enough sounding, but like this is seen as like the best soul album of all time. And it's just, it's three songs. It's three songs and fluff. I I couldn't believe it the first time I went and listened to it. I think I had like that book of like, um, you know, like a thousand and one records you have to listen to before you die or whatever. Got that as a gift. And I was like, yeah, I'll go through some of those. I stuck on what's going on. And apart from the songs that we all know and have been played to death and Inner City Blues gets me every time, there's nothing going on. It's just a vacuum of nothingness. I was like, what? How was he getting away with this? Chancer, an EP. <laughs> I love you, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> <laughs> nothing going on. Well done, Craig. You've nailed it yet again. Okay, so my number one this week. I mean, it is kind of like a good reflection of the fact that like, some of these records we don't like, some of them we do. And I do like this one um, quite a bit, I would say. But And I certainly did like it at the time. Um, but this has always been my go-to for like just the, the wave of, of absolute fucking chaos that followed. And it, it's my benchmark for there should be a system in place in the world where critics have to go back and re-review what they have reviewed six months to a year later, just to see if they still feel the same way. This is a tough one to try and dispel mm-hmm. into about 30 seconds, but uh, let's see if he can figure out who this is. remember in 2013 22 years later do you remember like being up and being online at like 11 or 12 and trying desperately to download my bloody valentine's mbv and the rush that surrounded that and how difficult it was and is it online where is it can i get it oh my god their website has crashed it is their first record since loveless one of the best albums ever made by anybody fucking ever in the world why are they back? What is what does Kevin Shields want? And it, it came along, <laughs> and essentially, I, I'm going to be the first person to throw myself under the bus here. I remember very specifically being in Hot Press, and I remember in the week, and maybe the first two weeks that followed of this album coming out, I remember emailing you in the office and saying stuff like, Craig, I think it could be as good as Loveless. I think it could be better. And you were like... It absolutely isn't, Dave. It's pretty good, but like you're losing your fucking mind. And then I remember like about two weeks later going, yeah, I think I just was on one. I, I think I, I, I just got injected with some kind of drug there for a while because I think that MBV is a perfectly good shoegazy album. And it's obviously dealing with the weight of one of the greats, like one of the legitimate greats. And even like other stuff they've done is also fucking brilliant. Like it's my Billy Valentine. And so how could it possibly? Yeah. But Again, I just remember the reviews, man, and I remember them clearly written by excited fans, which is fine, um, but Jesus Christ, like five stars, 10 out of 10, perfect, 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 perfect. They've done it again. They've nailed it. This is like nothing else you've ever heard. It's astonishing. What speaks to me the most is how how I never go back and listen to this album. Granted, they've disappeared from Spotify again, presumably because they're outraged at how little money they were getting on there, but essentially... I don't think it's a classic. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think it has much on it. I went back to it this week and I was like, 
look, it's got some great stuff. It's also weirdly low in the mix sometimes where I'm like, why is that? I mean, like, I know it's shoegaze. I know it's got 17,000 layers of haze on it, but like, I don't know. It just kind of sounds a bit dashed off at times and that's not really what you expect. Yeah, um, I feel the same. I I rarely, if ever, go back to it. New You, I think, is my most played song from it. Like, I'll occasionally stick that on because it's a bit different from everything else on it and it's, I like the bounce to it. But yeah, at the time, I think it was released at a weird point in terms of music being online and music criticism in general where we were starting to get a lot of, like, surprise releases from big artists, finally. And also, people were, were rushing... Um, to get their fucking views uh, across, you know, be first to fucking the punch. That was like really, I'm not sure if it was the start of it, but around that year or two, we saw a lot of kind of surprise releases and just the big opinions, the hot takes had to be out straight away. Like, you know, this review should have been up fucking an hour ago. Um, And invariably, of course, they were way off the mark because like they're just, they're fucking, you know, first listens or previews or not reviews. Um. Yeah, it's a serviceable album. The amount of time between this and Loveless is kind of shocking for like what it is because I think if this had come out a couple of years after Loveless, people would have been like, it's great. It's a bit like, it's a bit too much like Loveless. I hope they do something different. But like spending decades on it, very underwhelming. It sounds lovely. I do think Kevin Chills is a bit of a genius, but very, very underwhelming and immediately overrated just by virtue of her, who they are. If it had been released by a different band, I think people would have said, oh, they're kind of knocking off MBV. It sounds great. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I think Rush Review Culture is its own kind of problem. And yeah, you might be right. This might have been like patient zero for that. I think it's always a bit of a crime for any reviewer to be like, here's my full verdict after hearing it like twice, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But again, I also understand, of course, reviewers are at the mercy of editors and at the mercy of being first. And you have to have the opinion out straight away. Like take a fucking couple of weeks. Like me, if I had a, if I had done a review on day one, I would have been like, this is perfect. It's unbelievable. Uh, as many, many people did, many a respected critic did. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nothing Is, for me, is the best track on the record, which is this, this kind of, you know, instrumental barrage, which song. I really, really enjoy. But yeah, it just can't. I mean, it, there's great stuff on it. like, And it sounds really good live. Do you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't a disaster by any means, but just wasn't, wasn't the fucking next greatest album of all yeah, time, the, which people were it's expecting. It's the tool problem, as you say. Like, the longer you take away from the, from it, like, it's invariably going to be just like this kind of weird companion piece. But uh, it's still a good record, but for me, without question, the most overrated. Okay, um, before we do my number one, I just want to thank you Dave for not bringing up the Beatles whatsoever um, it was very big of you here's my number one <laughs> when I get older losing my head many years from now will you still be sending me valentines birthday greetings bottle of wine if I'd been out till quarter to three would you lock the door will you still need me when I'm 64 there. <laughs> um, by the Beatles, taken from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, a great example of what John Lennon called um, Paul's granny music, <laughs> which is all over this record. Um, I will say this is like a spectrum of overrated. So, you know, there is 
uh, like a day in the life on this track, which is, you know, a startling track. I keep saying startling, but it's just so inventive. One of their best songs. There's stuff like She's Leaving Home. There's there's great stuff on it. Um, but for decades upon decades, this was seen as the album. This was like the start of rock music as a proper art form. It was like the first concept record. It was the Beatles at their most revolutionary. It changed everything. Then you go and listen to it and it's a kind of a concept record where the concept is thrown away after like two or three songs and the concept to begin with is the Beatles are this like Sunday fate um covers band of like musicians that like came up in the fucking 30s or 40s doing very old school like music hall songs and you've stuff like the benefit of Mr. Kite when I'm 64 lovely Rita it's just like frivolous (laughs) throwaway like joke songs and you're like this is seen as like the be all and end all of rock music this is like we're through the looking glass everything has changed and this is a perfect example of I think it was the longest period um between albums for the Beatles something like 12 months which was like nothing but back then it's like oh my god they've disappeared off the face of the earth they just released like Revolver um magical mystery tour was around about then but you know they'd done some of their best work they were cutting edge and the biggest band on the planet and people were ready for the new album to change everything so i think it was a case of like again people just going oh this is it man this is it and it doesn't hold up when you go back to it i think it's it's if not their worst maybe their second worst album um they course corrected pretty quickly it still has some amazing writing on it but Nah, it's it's not a good listen now. It really isn't. I I know sonically at the time, like it was kind of revolutionary because, you know, they're cutting up tapes and the production stuff um, back then would have been very innovative. But obviously we've moved on from back then. And as of now, it's still hugely overrated. It's not a great listen, bar a few classics. Yeah, I obviously don't have much to add beyond I agree. But <laughs> essentially what I will say is, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, you're still seeing all these glowing write-ups even today? Do you think that that's kind of like, there's just this weird ingrained thing where, I don't know, it's like a weird kind of Mandela effect or something where like, there's just no other way of looking at this. I'm sure there are some kind of, I suppose, deemed contrarian takes now doing the rounds, much like this one. But this is, as you say, still looked up there as like an esteemed classic. Yeah, Um it's interesting. I suppose because the Beatles have, you know, such a kind of an extensive discography for a band that were on your own for 10 years, it's it's easy to kind of go, like, take the hit on Sgt. Peppers and be like, well, they were straight back in with, like, incredible stuff on the White Album. Yeah, you, you can just kind of quite quickly move on. And But I do think what you hear a lot these days is... um like a lot, there's a lot of anti-Lennon sentiment, which is like fair enough in some respects. Uh, you know, he personally, the guy didn't seem like a, a great dude, but like in musical terms, a lot of people now go, "Listen, Paul was was the main guy, right? He was just it was so innovative and so brilliant." Um, you know, Lennon couldn't compare. And then you listen to like the McCartney songs on this, and it is like, like when I'm 64, so maudlin. Other albums, every Beatles album has one song that doesn't quite work. They don't have a, a like a flawless album and it's invariably not a Ringo song. Like they're quite charming. It's a Paul song where he's doing like fucking Obla D, Obla Da or Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And you hear all these stories of John Lennon just being like, why are we doing this song? He'd make them record for like days on end and you'd be like, this is the shittest music ever. It's like granny music. It's like weird musical throwback stuff. That Like this is horrible. And McCartney would be like, Another take, John. Another take. 
But listen, they were maybe the best band of all time, so it's all relative. And that was our top five most overrated albums. We'll probably do <laughs> a, a a written write-up on this one on our Patreon page in a few days' time. That's patreon.com slash noencore if you're a fan of the written word and want to support the show in general. So I, before we move off this topic, Craig, I should probably just throw out a few kind of honourable mentions for me. Um, I kind of had like a, yeah, bit, of a, a, bit, of a bit, bit of a scratch list going. So I don't necessarily have like, huge deep opinions about these and I'm not looking to get into another 20 minutes here or anything but like just some names that were doing the rounds and I went back to some albums and had to listen to them so uh, Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers is probably up there for me uh, on on recent score you've got Dog Grill by Fontaine's DC you've got Mass Seduction by <laughs> St. Vincent um, I can yeah that was I considered well. London Calling by The Clash but I do think it's pretty good um, it's really good actually yeah Urban Hymns by The Verve yeah yeah, it kind of it quickly loses steam, um, and I think it was one of those populist records. Like I do think the cliche of their early stuff was better stands up. Like it, it sounds quite dated now. I'd agree. Uh, also, um, I can't I, I can't let this list go by without putting in up the bracket by the Libertines, of course. Uh. <laughs> How dare you? I expected that to be in your top five. Obviously, a hugely divisive band, the Libertines, and you know if they didn't quite click, which is the time, I can totally understand why Pete and Carl would rub you the wrong way. They're an important band to me, but yeah, you've 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 obviously never liked their stuff. Uh, That's fair two, enough. Um, just two ones here to sign off with, real quick. Which again, I I don't I don't dislike these albums at all, but you know, OK Computer by Radiohead, I think is worthy of being in the conversation considering what? the really religious fervor that surrounds it and hold on hold on hold on hold on we're going another half an hour sorry adam (laughs) okay computer i mean it's good but like come on calm down so calm down and finally craig uh in the interest of fairness as much as i think this record is great you know i've got my issues with it ike did consider throwing in kanye west my beautiful dark twisted fantasy what issues do you have it's not a 10, is it? I'd love to hear them. Not a 10, bit baggy. It is a 10. It's a no, It's more of a 9.6 then. <laughs> bit meandering. And then animal uh, as we all know, 808s and Heartbreakers is true masterpiece. Did you have any honourable mentions for the overrated? Uh, 808s and Heart- Heartbreakers is not his masterpiece. Um, although it's 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 one of his masterpieces. He has about four. Um, yeah, I'd, like it was sticking with hip hop. Um I went back to like we talked about the chronic recently enough and musically it's it's crazy but the lyrics are kind of unpalatable now so that's probably overrated just from a point of view of going back and listening to it it's it's, it's kind of sounds a bit mean uh same for nwa straight out of compton there's like three really really good songs it's like incendiary it's brilliant and then it, it, it falls apart completely it reminds it's like the kind of hip-hop um never mind the bollocks like the sex pistols album where it's hugely important there's like a clutch of incredible incredible songs and then the rest is nothing right home about i do think tupac's all eyes on me is horribly bloated and um there's a lot of terrible production on it and that's very overrated so that was kind of roundabout there i toyed with maybe a my chemical romance but i didn't know if they were overrated and i thought i'd be winding up people that are already missing out on their gigs so um i'll let you enjoy your thing but yeah there's plenty out there it's been fun i enjoyed venting it was good (laughs) this episode this vent session of no encore has been engineered by our sonic architect adam shanahan in the other listening corner craig i have been listening to it was a beautiful day on monday or tuesday and i threw on m83's saturday's equal youth which is a wonderful wonderful emotional wistful record and perfect for a stroll in the sun uh, i've also been listening to the ad astra score the brad pitt film from last year which let me down quite a bit but has some amazing stuff in it and the music which was kind of a bit of a 
two-way struggle between different composers is up there and it's quite brilliant uh, I, w- I should also make note that um, as of now and then as of next week there's some new Irish music worth checking out both friends of the show Vance Cass yes. formerly of Overhead the Albatrosses put out a new single and an isolation themed video to boot you can check that out right now and our good friend Royal Yellow will be releasing a new single next week which both of these are very very strong quality not to say in that because they're me mates go check them out I was listening to both um, just this afternoon and they're they're great. Uh, the Vance Cast one is like the Chipmunk Soul stuff. I was like, shit, this is like, he's doing Kanye stuff for me. I love the bedroom video as well. And the Royal Yellow song, the production on it's great. Both of them worked really well uh, in the sunshine today as well. Um, what else have we been listening to? Um, oh, in terms of overrated albums, I saw a lot of people were like mentioning um, Thriller by Michael Jackson, which I don't know if I totally agree with. Um, but I did see someone saying that a way better Quincy Jones produced album from the era was um, George Benson um, with the album Give Me the Night, which did kind of no business. No one ever talks about it. And I was like, what? I've never even heard of this. So I stuck it on and it's brilliant. So if people are looking for amazing Quincy Jones stuff, they mightn't have heard George Benson's Give Me the Night. Check it out. Yeah, I've also gone back once again to that Hamilton Lighthizer album because I do find that when we get out of the, I know we didn't review it on the show, but you know, that new release thing of like it's out there's a lot of stuff fighting for attention you might take some time for it to kind of find your groove with it and again it's been I, I think the more I listen to it the more I like it it's not groundbreaking for him whatsoever but he doesn't need to be I think he's just good enough as a presence anyway that was no encore for this week we will be back next week uh, before then there might be an episode of No Popcorn we'll see how that works out otherwise that one's coming quite soon in the meantime my name is Dave Hanready his name is Craig Fitzpatrick there will be no encore I've forgotten how to end the show Craig what, what did I used to say this has been no encore there will be no encore there will be no encore Perfect. thank you for listening unreal bye bye podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 